Hello, this is Robert Picardo, the holographic doctor from Star Trek Voyager and Commander Woolsey from Stargate Atlantis. If I only get in Star Wars someday, I will have made the trifecta. And you're listening to Neil Before Pod, because you are smart. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to another strange new edition of Neil Before Pod. I'm your host Craig McKenzie and the topic this time is the second half of Star Trek Discovery's first season. Since I can't do this alone, I need an able crew of brave officers to help me out. Time to beam in the bridge crew and get this underway. And welcome aboard Chris. Thank you for beaming me in. You're welcome. How was the beaming? It was all right, though. I'm I'm pretty sure I had a full moustache and beard before I beamed over. So can you, uh, I don't know, beam beam my moustache back, please? Uh, that's just um, that's just a consequence of uh, transporting ah. across universities. I wouldn't worry about that. Oh right, okay. I'll, I'll suppose I'll just grow it back then. I mean, it's only taken me, you know, twenty-eight years to finally <laughs> get the stubble that I could call a moustache. But you know, I, I don't know. And it looks like the transporter has lost the rest of the guests. So oh. Just, but there was like eight of us. <laughs> there was. Um, everyone is now dead. So. <laughs> that was a bit whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Makes we 100 have, podcasts easier to organise. We, we did have an entire bridge crew, but they're all dead now. Yep. So it's going to be vault, running the ship a little harder, but you know. They've all been merged into one being of multiple consciousnesses. Consciousnesses? Yes. Consciousnesses? Let's go for consciousnesses. <laughs> they're they're dead. Let's just let's just simplify it. All right, fair enough. Beamed into space, perhaps. Who knows? Well, I mean, technically, you're always beaming into space, but you know. I, I hear it's the new way to go. We're getting beamed into space. Yeah. Well, space is everywhere, so technically no matter where you go, you're beaming into space. It depends if that space has an atmosphere and gravity and stuff. Occasionally I like to beam to the space in between space. Space in between spaces. Like Ant-Man. Yeah. He's like between the molecules. Anyway, we're digressing already. So, Star Trek Discovery has finished its first season, its inaugural season, and um, 15 episodes of, of stuff that can be talked about. We already talked about nine of them uh, earlier on. You were on that podcast as well, so we can we can save the... What did you think of season one, chat? Or first part of season one, chat. So, what were your spoiler-free thoughts on the second part of season two? I think it continued its good form. I really enjoyed the beginning of the, the season, and I, I think it sort of carried on yeah, we carried on really, really well. Special effects were fantastic throughout. I think the um, the action continued. I liked the fact that it wasn't sort of standalone uh, stories each week. I liked the arc, uh, or the arcs, I suppose we should say in this. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed the second half. I'm the same. I thought it was a really good second half. One thing I'll get onto is I thought the last the last two episodes were somewhat disappointing. Um, hmm. For reasons that are plentiful, but 
generally speaking, it was good. I like the character-driven approach. Michael Burnham's a good character who seems to have the universe revolve around her, which is both good and bad for her, I suppose. Um, the other characters were good. There was maybe a few too many shock reveals. They like a shock reveal in this show, it turns out. Um, without going into spoilers, I won't say any more than that. Uh, but yeah, it was good. Uh, as you said, the special effects were, were lovely. Uh, good good action. Set design was great. You know, um, People will have their misgivings about that, and I respect those misgivings, but personally I don't care. I think uh, it looks great and should be updated for the modern era. So yeah, that's my thoughts on Season 2. Season 1, Part 2. Uh, without spoiling it for everyone. I agree with what you've said, really. Um, the second half it continues i mean obviously the sets and everything we're going to pass on i've already talked in the in the first half about how i i kind of like the transition to the newer scenes there's no way they were going to get away with original series sets or whatever to do this so just yeah people should i'm sorry but forget about that (laughs) and the you know the new style sort of continued through a transition to a whole different thing that i've not really seen in Trek before, I know it's been in, in other things before, but a new bit and I agree with you about the last couple of episodes, I mean they had a lot to try and cram into those last two episodes to give everyone the the resolutions that they wanted by the end of this, I won't spoil it yet because we've not uh, beamed into the spoiler section or, or done our bit, so um, yeah, I, I agree with you I think it was a bit of a rush to finish kind of thing where they went all right we need everyone to be in this position by the start of whatever we want to do next and yeah it it kind of went boom 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 and then that was it feels a bit like that yeah Mm. um cool so shall we set our status to black alert and just go spoilers all right black alert is black alert black alert right now we can say whatever we want so the second half of the season was defined by two distinct arcs, the Mirror Universe, and then let's quickly wrap up the Klingon arc. Although they were all kind of extensions of the same arc because there was kind of things that, that bled through. And as I said in the pre-spoiler section, this universe revolves around Michael Burnham anyway. So everything is being experienced relative to her uh, and her emotional journey throughout the season. So I quite like to... I certainly really liked the Mirror Universe arc. I mean, there is a novelty to going into different universes just to see things. The Mirror Universe is celebrated by um, by Star Trek fans because it's just so much fun. You know, you could see the Enterprise episodes where they're in there, the original series episode, Mirror Mirror, the various Deep Space Nine episodes. It's um, it's it's good fun. You know, it's, it's a place to be. It's everyth- everything's alternate. Everything's a bit darker and... Certainly in the original series, a bit campier. I mean, if, the, if you can imagine such a thing. <laughs> um, so it was cool. I think they managed to do the Mirror Universe characters by being kind of the right level of camp while also managing to be menacing and sinister. So you, you see a bit of that with um, the first officer of the Shenzhou, who's the captain when, you know, when Burnham's pretending to be her alternate self. And he's like, you know, he's a bit... Um, larger than life uh, and then tries to kill her and, and all that stuff but then um, you've got Giorgio who's very you know she's very deliberate uh, there's clearly a character there so they had a good mix of like 
here's here's caricatures and here's a character. No, I do like it. It's um, like I was saying in the opening there. It's um, something I've not seen a lot of in Trek. I've not watched tons of the original series, which probably opens the Bombay doors on this podcast already and gets me flushed out into space. <laughs> but uh, I've not really seen much of it uh, set in the mirror, mirror universe. So I, I really liked it. I thought, do you know what? What a nice sort of change, something a bit different. You're getting to see these characters from a different angle. It gets Giorgio back, who I wanted to see back again. I was like, what a waste, just having her there for one episode to kind of get just stabbed, and then that's it. So it was brilliant to see uh, her back in. And, uh, yeah, it was just... I The the only bit I kind of didn't get was why uh, they took Giorgio back towards the end, obviously. I, I, I was a bit like, oh, what was that about? But... Uh, I did kind of enjoy seeing how that all played out in the end, so I'll forgive them for it a little <laughs> bit. I didn't at the time, but I do I do forgive them now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, very, very cool to see the Mirror Universe, the sort of redesignation of the ship. I mean, I, I wish I had one of these little robots that could go over the front and sort of respray my car every once in a while, <laughs> like the Enterprise, not the Enterprise, like Discovery was able to get resprayed, you know? That'd be nice. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, you could hide all those crimes that you commit in your car. I know, a bit like sort of the license plate. Grand Theft Auto. I mean, I was thinking of getting the dents and scratches out, but I suppose hiding all the crimes as well is an unexpected benefit. Yeah, well, they have that multi-purpose worker bee, don't they? So they can just uh, mm-hmm. repaint the hull anytime they want. It's pretty cool. Um, so the, the Mirror Universe arc uh, started off, obviously, as soon as it all began. And what you had was you had... Um, Everyone getting used to the fact we're in an alternate universe that has this Terran Empire. You know, everyone's racist. Um, everyone's well, everyone who's not human is subjugated by the Terran Empire. So you see Saru as a slave and all that. And then, and more importantly, the Shenzhou is still in service, which is a very personal um, problem for Burnham because she watched the thing be destroyed. Uh, or not really destroyed, it was just kind of sitting there. They just didn't bother to salvage it, which is a bit strange. But uh, it's it's out there, it's up and running. She's managed to become a captain in this universe. It's all like, it's all very visceral for her because she realises that her potential, in theory, has been fulfilled or is on its way to being fulfilled in this particular universe. And uh, all she had to do was be murderous and evil. So uh, that's a message. Yeah, set your sights high and be evil. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Um, I have a theory that we, as in we right now, are living in the mirror universe, judging by the way everything's going. (laughs) It could be. That's a good theory, actually. Yeah, there is is some happier, idealistic universe just around the corner. Uh, We just haven't been able to get there yet. Yeah, we're heading towards the Terran Empire. That doesn't make me feel better when I'm here, but, you know, maybe some freak uh, transporter accident will take me over there at some point. Yes. It'd be it would be nice. Um, yeah, I'd like I'd like to see where the successful Chris McCrell has got himself. <laughs> He's ruling the radio. Ruling the radio. <laughs> all over the all, all, the radio. all radios. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Yeah, it could be. Could yeah. be. Meanwhile, I'm just the one here that's been beamed in without my evil beard to show that <laughs> I am in the uh, the wrong mirror universe. The wrong universe. Yeah. yeah. The, the thing about the, the mirror arc is, although I do feel like this with all um, 
everything about this show is sometimes it's a little bit rushed. So what you had was within one episode, you had them processing the fact that they're in an evil universe. Um, you find out a little bit here and there about their counterparts. And then it doesn't take long at all for Burnham and Lorca to make their way over to the, the alternate Shenzhou. Um, so that's it's a lot to happen in a single episode. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't even so much a single episode. It was about the first half of that episode yeah. that they go, "Oh, we're in a mirror universe. Oh, uh, our ship is, uh, you know, the Discovery is still the Discovery, but in here it's ISS Discovery." And oh, and, and Tilly's captain, and the uniforms look like this. And the, <laughs> it was like everything was done within that half of an episode. They pretty much had the whole thing up and running. Yeah. Um. I think like the kind of digesting where they were was good enough for one episode, but then you only have fifteen episodes. So I wonder if like I don't know, if the fifteen episodes if those five episodes could have been or six episodes could have been devoted entirely to the mirror universe and fleshed it out a bit. Because there's no need to wrap up the Klingon war this season. You know, that can continue. Because it just felt like we need to move on, we need to do this quickly and you know, the so you what you had was a lot of missed opportunities. Things like things that I was so sure were gonna happen, such as the Mirror Burnham turning up alive and well. You know, seeing what the ISS Discovery was up to in our universe. Meeting Captain Kelly, for instance. Yeah, no, there was a, there was a few bits like that, the, the, the sort of uh, tropes, the, the usual the usual suspects that they didn't do. And I'm on, I'm on two minds about that, one of which is I like that it's not predictable that way. It didn't sit there and go, right, okay, we now need the evil version or the the duplicate version of this character to turn up at this really inconvenient time to completely wash away the plan. We really need the discovery, the other discovery to be running about doing this. They they went and they, they stuck to the thing. And I, I've read online, and I kind of agree with it in, in a few ways, that the episode climaxes in Discovery are almost what would be season enders, season finales mm-hmm. in other trek shows you know that oh my god we're in a mirror universe we'd be right okay let's wrap that for a bit you know and and then that would be it for the end of that season and the and and it would be an entire season's worth trying to figure out the next bit or moving on from the next bit Uh, whereas this manages to fit these things in as sort of the end to a standard episode now that either means it's going to set a pace that is never going to be able to keep up and that might explain some of the problems that we had towards the end where, you know, they're trying to finish too many things too quickly and it sort of falls over itself a little bit and things that should be given greater significance are almost washed over really quick. You know, you don't have time to process it and it doesn't give the characters on screen time to process anything. It's like they've got to move on because we need them now to get on to this next bit. Otherwise, we're never going to finish on time. We We need to keep going, you know. So, yeah, I, I I get exactly where you're coming from with that. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I, I get the, the need to not be predictable and things like that, but sometimes being unpredictable means that good drama gets washed away. So the thing is, you know, it's I don't consider it a good thing that they didn't show the ISS Discovery. I consider it a fundamental gap in storytelling. You know, because you had, you had these... Um, you had this thing established, this thing set up... Um, and it, they never press, pull the pin on it, you know? It's just sitting there as a thing, and then you get an off... 
uh, an offhand comment about, oh yeah, that was blown up. Oh well, no problem. You know, and then Burnham, she's presumed dead. Now we all know in every other science fiction and fantasy show and any other show that we've ever watched, presumed dead means we'll come back later. Oh, I've I've already said on many podcasts, show me the mutilated corpse before I believe they're dead. And yeah. even then, I will still <laughs> doubt the fact that they are, you know, anyone that falls down a well, off a cliff, disappears off screen, gets shot in the head and people walk away assuming they're dead. I'm like, yeah, they're coming back. Because <laughs> every sci-fi show does it. Unless you see, you know, the disembodied corpse, they're coming back in a later episode. And yeah. even then, it doesn't stop them coming back in a dream or an evil clone or a twin brother or sister that you've never seen before that yeah. appears back, you know? Yeah. I think that um, Mirror Universe counterparts not coming back is um, is probably something that should happen. I mean, the thing is, it's, you know, it's one thing to hear about the alternate Michael Burnham, but it's quite another to see her, you know? And there's there's a relationship she has with Mirror Giorgio that you don't get to see the relationship she has with Lorca that you don't get to see. You're told all about it. And it's like that, that first rule of writing, show don't tell. you know, And they don't show us, they just keep telling us these little things. I do think they've left it open for the possibility in the future. Yeah, you know, doing there, it next season doesn't fix this season. You know? No, you're right, it doesn't. But the thing is, it doesn't mean it's never going to happen. No. It just means that we've not seen it yet. And I'd like to think the potential is there that they can go, oh, we can pull this back in, we can show this. You know, maybe someone did make it off the alternate discovery before it was destroyed. You, you never know. So there's there's little bits of potential out there for in the future. I don't think that they'll fully focus on it, but I, I do think there's opportunities for, for these things to happen still. Yeah, and... Um I think that a lot of this show is geared towards the reveals without knowing what they're going to do with the reveals. So it's almost like they came up with um, they came up with Tyler's a Klingon and then worked backwards from there. So like the thing is that so they drop the reveal and then they do nothing with it. I mean, there's the the scene where he tries to kill Burnham. Fine, that's like dramatic and tense. And then he winds up in Discovery, and then like an episode later he gets um, the the. Voke personality removed just like that, you know, with apparently no side effects, no subterfuge to it at all. It's just, yeah, Voke's dead now. You've got Tyler, he has Voke's memories. He's kind of Klingon and human, and there's a weird, there's a weird hybridness going on in there. But other than that, he's fine. And it's like, what was the point in having the secret Klingon aboard Discovery in the first place? Because it didn't, he didn't do anything. Yeah, he killed what he killed one character, and sort of disrupted another activity that was nothing really to do with the Klingon War. Yeah, and that was it. He never sort of fulfilled his his purpose. But I suppose you know when they were planting him in the first place, they didn't expect for him to end up in a mirror universe. Yeah, they expected him to continue as a sort of double agent for a while. Yeah, you know, I, I like the idea. That, um, I like the idea that the Klingons' plan failed, but at the same time, it's kind of bad drama, isn't it? Because you've got this, you've got this grenade that they just set off in the middle of it all, and then that was it. Nothing happened. You know, it's like oh, it's fine. It was a problem for like half an hour, but we dealt with it. And now the Vogue personality's gone completely. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen a bit more sort of sabotage or things going wrong. And maybe not knowing who was to blame up until you know that scene, and then that then you go, oh, he's actually he's the one that's been slowly in the background. This has been going on all this time, and 
or, or it's even a little bit more. From oh yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it's been obvious, but you know, it's still you sit there and go, oh, there's a little bit of doubt. Oh, it could be oh why why and all this sort of stuff. But then yeah, like you say, once it's it's thrown in, the grenade is used essentially once, yeah. and it's removed really simply now. Don't get me wrong, once again, exactly like we're saying with the Mirror Universe thing, someone can overwrite that at any moment and go, oh, turns out the personality re- you know, re-established itself and we don't understand how this works and da-da, you know, potentially. You'd like to think they'll go, right, okay, we kind of, maybe we did that too quickly, but we'll just carry on and it'll be a thing now, you know. Yeah. He'll, have, he'll have the memories and he'll be useful as a, as a spy or as a, you know, translator for the next yeah. wee while, you know. Although his post, the post-Voke personality removal thing was, was pretty good, because I like the fact that Tyler, for some reason, Saru gives him free reign on Discovery, because that's what you do with a guy who, you know, snapped a doctor's neck in one fluid motion. Uh, you just put an ankle bracelet on him and let him get on his way. Uh, fine, whatever. But, the, you know, the feeling was it wasn't him. I do, I, I get exactly where it you're coming him, from. It like, was him. It wasn't him, but it was him. And anyone looking at him would know it was him, physically him, that did it, but not actually him. Yeah, I I do I do follow what you're saying. I, but I, I did like what they did with him afterwards, going, where do I fit in? He's yeah. sitting there going, I have his memories, I have my memories, I have my thoughts, but I've also got bits that he remembers. Where do I fit in? I, the Klingons won't want me because I'm not a Klingon. The humans don't want me because they don't trust me now. What do I do? What am I, what am I supposed to be here for? And I think it leaves his character, or left his character, definitely in a, an interesting position um, to to go in. And I like I like how they handled that. Another, you know, it's another one of these things that's resolved a bit quickly. You know, Tilly yeah. goes over and eats with him, and then suddenly everyone's crowding around him, willing to eat with him again. Yeah, maybe well, it's a bit too happy, clappier, and too quick a resolve for that. But you know, I'll, 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 I'll deal with it. It's fine. Well, I like that moment because it's one of the few moments in the whole season where they feel like a crew. You know, you you don't really get that impression because they don't. One of the good things is they don't focus on the bridge crew, but one of the bad things is the more the longer it went on, the more I wanted to see a, a bit more of Detmar and that robot lady and Mister Reese and there's others I can't mm. remember their names, but they, that, that's the problem. I don't know who they are, you know, other than uh, other than Fire, yes, Captain, you know, that was, that was <laughs> the, the, the contribution up to that point. But the the thing is the fact that yeah, Tilly goes over and sits with them because you know she's. She's a sucker for hard luck cases, you know, she imprinted on Burnham pretty quickly and uh, so she goes over and sits with him to show support and then everyone else goes over and shows their support and it's like, yeah, this is what Starfleet is all about, second chances. It's about, you know, it's it's about forgiveness, it's about all that good stuff, it's, you know, it's about being better than your prejudices and that's that's what they did, you know, they, they all put it aside because... Here's a guy who's confused about who he is, and we can help him. Which is a nice contrast to the way Burnham was treated in the early part of the series, where nobody wanted to be anywhere near her. Um, some of whom, some of the crew came from the Shenzhou. So, you know, they had a reason to resent her, and almost it puts Tyler in Burnham's place, where she was at the kind of start of the series. Yeah. But then the difference is the crew have become closer to each other and more accepting of. 
these things. You know, they've they've learned and grown. Exactly what I was going to say there. They've kind of learned through. Uh, their experiences with Burnham, why maybe they shouldn't be so quick to judge, quick to condemn, quick yeah. to isolate these people in the end. So I, I do like that. And do you know what? The the fact that they've not focused around the bridge crew has been a little welcome break, to be honest. Uh, having uh, Michael Burnham or Burnham sort of as your conduit, but not always dead centre. It's as much as you know obviously she's the the core of the show she's not always been the main focus character and they've left us all going oh i want to find out more about that bridge crew member and that bridge crew member what an introduction for them even if next year they go do you know what yeah we're going to find out more about the bridge crew now because this is this is what we're going to do with this particular season then I'd be quite happy with that because what an introduction to seeing how they work and what they've been through to get to that point, I think. Yeah, and we might move to a universe that doesn't necessarily revolve around Michael Burnham. Mm-hmm. Uh, we might move to something something more akin to an ensemble piece. You know, and there was a limited ensemble, so what you had was, you, you know, you have the scene with, scenes with Burnham on the whatever ship she's on at the time and, you know, then you've got Tilly um, letting... Uh, Stamets inhale spores to try and heal them, which um, anyone that's lived in a, a building that has uh, a mold infestation would possibly know that breathing in spores isn't necessarily good for your health, but you know, this is Star Trek whatever um, so you've got that, you know and and they did a bit of, a lot of good work with Tilly on the kind of scientific front where she was coming into her own as an well she's not an officer at that point, but She's coming into her own as a member of the crew. She's becoming more confident. She's self-assured with her own abilities, and you know. And and when um, Saru compliments her, she's like, "Will you recommend me for the command training program?" So she's like taking ownership of her own career at that point, which is great. You know, it's, it tells you a lot about her in a very small period of time. Yeah, I think Tilly's one of my favourite characters in this. She's as much as she's used as a light relief character at certain points through the show. She's also one of the characters that's given the most development. Yeah, as well. You know, she does change. She learns from Burnham as she goes along. She also starts taking her own decisions. She stands up for herself. She does, a, you know, sort of comes into her own through the show, and I like seeing that as a. a a good way of building the character up. Yeah. And now she's an ensign as of the end of the season, so, you know, uh, she got promoted quicker than Harry Kim ever did. <laughs> Poor guy. Or Hoshi oh. in Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> or or Mayweather in Enterprise. Anyone in Enterprise. You know, she's... So she's clearly gotten through it. and, and um, Yeah, I, f- I think the dog got promoted in Enterprise <laughs> quicker than the crew did, didn't they? Yeah, yeah it's a shame. Yeah, uh, previous Star Trek and their mistakes, but yeah, there, there is that sense of progression for for most of the characters. If if in if only with their increase in rank, everyone except Saru goes up a rank at the end of the season, and Burnham gets her commission back because you know stopping the admiral from from sanctioning genocide is uh, probably worth scrubbing the mutiny off the books. <laughs> Yeah, we'll give her a pass on the previous mutiny. <laughs> yeah, oh well, I almost murdered an entire race of people. Uh, you may or may not have started the war with the Klingons. We'll call it even. But the, the good news is that she's still got her job, you know? That's that's the thing, yeah. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm still able to give you this rank because <laughs> for some reason no one has asked for my head. Yeah. Well, that's it. It was only him and it was only Cornwell and Sarek that knew about it. So, you know, whatever. And that's kind of what the, the long running arc was about. It was about kind of moving away from your 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 worse self, you know, your your baser instincts rising above all that. So like the mirror universe is what happens when you let your when you let your innermost worst desires come true in effect. And then when you get back to the prime universe, Cornwell is at a point of desperation where she's like, Yeah, let's blow up a bomb in the centre of the Klingon homeworld and wipe them out so that there that ends this war because we've lost too much. So that's Cornwell giving into her the worst parts of herself. You know, she's willing to cross that line because she feels that saving the Federation is worth having all that on her conscience. But the the whole arc is around. No, no, we have to be better than that. We can't be the people that destroy an entire homeworld just to preserve ourselves. And you know, uh, Kirk's. Uh, that Kirk TV show's on in a couple of years uh, and the Klingon homeworld wasn't blown up there so we can't do that No, definitely I mean, the the thing is I, I like that this episode has almost been a journey of the Federation getting to where we see it This is almost must be the closest the Federation has come or at least the closest I can remember it to the Federation doing something absolutely barmy to the, that would just shatter the whole premise of it. Other than uh, Cisco agreeing to, or Cisco catching a plan that ends up in a Romulan a senator getting assassinated in order to bring the Romulans into the Dominion War. Although arguably that's a personal decision that was sanctioned by Starfleet. They were just yeah. like, yep, fine, go for it. Wash their hands of it. It's your plan. Do what you yeah. need to. It was. Yeah. It was. It wasn't. It wasn't kind of the. It wasn't a Federation ad- admiral coming up and going. Right. Here's the official plan. Here's the line. Here's the corporate line that we've come up with. We are going to. Uh, and so, I, I, I think it's quite interesting because it shows how they down the line progress from there. When you see how close they come and. I, Ultimately, a lot of episodes of Star Trek are along the lines of, oh, we could do this thing, we could stop this thing from happening by using our overwhelming power to destroy an opposing side that we don't like. Or, you know, there is a mighty military force as much as it is one of exploration. A lot of the time, they do have powerful technology on their side and don't use it. And you kind of, that is a lot of the time what episodes of Trek are about. Yeah. They don't use it, they find a smarter way round, they find a diplomatic way round, and as much as the diplomatic resolution of this, diplomatic, I don't know, as much as the hostage situation at the end of this wraps it up kind of a bit too quickly for my taste, I do prefer it to the other option, which obviously would have kind of destroyed canon as it did it. But Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh- I do actually quite like the idea of that solution that was kind of, it, well, the best bad idea they had in a sense. You know, it was like, okay, this bomb is sitting in the, you know, in the center of the Klingon homeworld. Um, the best thing we can do is let this woman be in charge, and hopefully she won't divert the Empire's resources to wiping us out. Um, and all right, they're not going to listen to her, but maybe if she's holding them all to ransom, then yeah, they'll listen. Um, 
So she holds her up her, her iPad and be like, listen to me or I'll kill every single one of you and all your children and all your relatives and your targs and all of your, you know, whatever. Your, I'll blow up your space whale kiosk. Um, and the, the Klingons <laughs> fall into line. And I guess the coming months, years, decades are about them learning to work together as an empire despite the um you know the the nuclear deterrent in effect because it's probably an allegory for a, a nuclear deterrent you know you you've got this thing and it it puts people off attacking you because you can just attack them first and worse you know that kind of thing yeah definitely i mean i, I did as part of me kind of thought well if the klingons were performing as far as they normally do if someone held up their ipad and went right i'm hitting the button on the ipad you're all gonna get it they would shoot the ipad uh <laughs> out of you know if oh, we hit the, the on button oh yeah i oh, know we hit the on button <laughs> or you know someone would be a battle through the heart or something by the end of it it's i i didn't quite get that okay at that point all the houses in the Klingon Empire, we go, okay, we'll follow you. Just, you know, we, we, we totally won't try and murder you in your sleep for doing this. Uh, it's totally fine, you know. No, the, the spirit of the moment was better than the moment itself. I yeah. can see what they were going for, but it was too rushed. You know, there was this, there was this whole discussion that needed to be had, um, or lengthy discussions that needed to be had before it was about about the potential she had to destroy the planet and things like that because holding up an iPad being like I could kill you all that doesn't really tell you anything you know they have no proof of that I mean I could yeah. you know I could um I could walk up with my with my well, I don't have an iPad but I could walk up with my Android tablet and be like look if I press this button all of the traffic lights in Edinburgh will go green and you'll all die and like they won't be able to prove that I can't do that unless I press the button yeah, you need to sh- you need to show some of your power. You need to give an example, a demonstration of your ability before people will believe you. I think. Yeah. Is there a chance the bridge fell down on its own? No, <laughs> I'm sure that was in either the Simpsons. Uh, it was the Simpsons. It was a Hank Scorpio episode. You know, maybe it collapsed on its own. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so there's that. There's that kind of nuclear deterrent thing. You've got the Tyler being a bridge between the two peoples, which I think is quite interesting. And it well it's an interesting idea. It's not executed terribly well because you've had you haven't really had that that conflict brewing inside them for that long, ever since the reveal. So it is it's wrapped up in a neat little package because they don't want to tell a war story in season two, but it is very quick. You know, those last two episodes are super quick. No, the la- the last two episodes are rapid in their <laughs> their solutions uh, yeah. it does not it does not linger uh, for a second yeah yeah and one issue i had was with the way that georgiou was handled or the mirror version of her was handled uh, i can understand why michael was a bit uh, a bit conflicted about how to deal with her because it represents this mentor that she betrayed and you know looks exactly like her acts a little bit like her now and again but there's enough differences there but then You've got this thing where the episode where that led up to her being beamed over to Discovery, that was very much geared towards she's the lesser of two evils and, you know, she is redeemable in some way. But the thing is, I couldn't help but remember that she was eating a Kelpian a few hours ago. Yes. And that, that's that's that that was something that was like I know she's the lesser of two evils. Maybe maybe she 
is it I mean as much as Lorca wasn't going to quite go right okay let's sort this world out I've seen how the better half live let's tidy this up I don't think that's what was going to happen once he was you know emperor no so yeah I I do kind of get it but at the same time there's I have no sympathy for that character whatsoever the fact that she's now roaming about the uh, in federation space with a a, a freedom pass uh, or a free pass to do what she wants almost yeah. is a little bit you know like okay that isn't quite the reward she should be getting but you know fair enough yeah and the idea of um let's put her in command of discovery and she can lead us into battle or she can lead us to chronos and that's like you know, I, I could. I was almost shouting at the TV. This is a really terrible idea. And the thing is, it's one of those. It proves to be a terrible idea almost immediately. Where it's, you know, where they talk. I think it's Detmer talks about the Klingon home world, and she's like, "Don't talk about it like that." You either call it the, you know, the enemy planet or whatever, you know. And, and yeah. she immediately ingratiates herself as like, "Okay, this is not Giorgio. This is nothing. This isn't her at all." And. It also doesn't work because the Discovery crew are bound to know who she is because they were just in the mirror universe. Well, you know, you'd think, oh, there's a massive suspicion there that this isn't quite the conveniently placed Giorgio. And also, anyone could have led that mission. Really could have led that mission. That was not like, you know, do you know who we really need? Who we really, really need is that captain we had a while ago. Remember the captain you all thought was dead? Well, here she is to lead us to war. You know, it's like, no, that's, you know. I mean, it's fair I enough. Did. You've got Michelle Yeoh for the last four episodes, so you're going to use Michelle Yeoh in the last four episodes. But, like, a lot of it didn't quite hold up. You know, the the discovery... if. If Cornwall had just said, you know, we're going to need a bit more savagery in the captain's chair to deal with the Klingons and here's the most savage person we've got access to, that's fine. I mean, I get that the bridge crew hadn't really, weren't aware of Giorgio's presence because they never, yeah, they never saw her or anything like that. But like, other than the transporter chief, so I guess it's kept a secret from everyone except the transporter chief because he beeped her back. Yes. You know, so... uh, yeah, so right, you shut up, or we'll just kill you, or something. I don't or know. else, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I think the whole right, we need a savage in command. She's a savage, so therefore this will do. Um, and everyone around her should be like, "This is a really stupid idea." Like you have a uh, Saru whispering to Burnham, "She's not standing up for Federation ideals." It's like, well, what did you expect? She's a Terran. Yeah. She it, ate one of your people a few hours ago. Yeah. Well, I mean. I, I think in on the same hand, if she had been sat locked in her crew quarters for the last couple of episodes and then only maybe taken to the planet or escaped at the last minute during a battle or something, yeah. we'd have been talking about how she was wasted in those last few episodes. Possibly. So I am, I am glad that she was used, but I think they probably could have got away with saying, oh, this is the Emperor, she's the most savage person that we've got available, she's here to advise us on the final battle. Yeah, and she's going to be part of the away team that goes down. Yeah, I don't think they needed to pretend to the crew that this was the their long lost captain. Yeah. All those caves on Kronos that we're hiding in. We're going to jump into this cave, then map, map the planet. Oh, this cave doesn't let us map the planet. Oh, we'll need to go to another cave and do it that way. That way. Hmm. Yeah. Oh. I was I was slightly confused by the minutiae of all that of, of that plan. Yeah, I, d- I don't like to question what happens when you just 
sort of conveniently drop a starship into one of these hopefully big enough caves and then it's able to (laughs) automatically compensate for the sudden whelm of gravity against it without it plummeting into the rocks (laughs) well it managed it managed it very well clearly clearly detmer is one hell of a pilot yep (laughs) he is she she sorry she's the one with the metal bit on her face yes Although not in the Mirror Universe, where she's uh, the first officer of the Shenzhou. Who likes beaming people into space. See, yeah, I want to know more about these people. I'm interested in, in the bridge crew. Um, I think, maybe they're all terrible actors, who knows. But I, I don't think that's the case. I think they're probably good. But yeah, next season we might find out more. Yeah, I need to straighten the characters out of my head on the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know at least, I know one of their names. No, two. Detmer, Reese. I know who they are. And then there's Robot Lady. Her name again. <laughs> Robot a. Lady. And then there's some other lady. I can't remember her name. And yeah, whatever. We'll find out more, perhaps. Um, but the Giorgio relationship with Burnham was was quite interesting because you had that whole, um, you know, that there was the mother daughter from her end, and then there was the. You know the potential of, or the the lost potential and the mentor mentee relationship, and then I really liked the the scene between Sarek and uh, and and Mirror Giorgio as well, where it's like we have both raised Michael Burnham's, and mine's better. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Vulcans do not gloat, but mine's better. <laughs> yeah, very neatly done, and and. Do you know, I think in the last podcast we did about Discovery, we were questioning sort of why Sarek and my friend. But do you know what? He's been quite a good character throughout. As much as it's only been little bits and little snippets we've got, I've quite liked liked him. As much as maybe it doesn't doesn't need to be Sarek, I have liked his performance and I, I have liked his little bits that he's had. He has been a good character. However, he still doesn't need to be Sarek. You know, he could be any Vulcan ambassador you know and the idea i mean fair enough it's referencing spock now and again and whatever but then it just makes the universe feel a bit smaller you know if everyone's connected in that way yeah it does i i have the feeling in the exact same way i think we said in the last episode that it's just been done so they can tie in spock so they can tie in enterprise so they can tie into other bits and pieces and a lot of the time it makes the universe seem like a much smaller place than it should be. Yeah, yeah definitely. But it is what it is, and, and Sarek is good. James Frayne makes for a fine Sarek, for sure. I really like his performance. Um, there's a lot of nuance to the character. I like the way that he is able to give Burnham advice on emotion, even though he doesn't particularly subscribe to it. Like When he you know, gives her the advice to never regret falling in love or whatever it is um, because he understands the value of that you've seen elements of that through the films and stuff as well though which is I know it's a different character essentially in the films but you have seen bits of that of him sort of teaching about emotion or how he actually feels yeah there's um, I'm not including the 2009 yeah. version of Sarek here because he's quite different. frankly rubbish but um, <laughs> You know, the actor playing him is not very good and whatever, but the Mark Leonard version, there was always a bit beneath the surface there. You know, the, um, he marries a human for logical reasons, although there is more to it than that for him. You know, especially in The Next Generation, because his later wife is also human. So there's, 
it's clearly he's doing that for more than logical reasons. The, he has, you know, he has ideas, ideals, and ideas that are that kind of transcend sort of Vulcan, the 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 Vulcan way, you know. And it's it's interesting in that respect, and the fact that so the fact that he has chosen to raise a human like his daughter and take into account her emotions, although her emotional or his acceptance of her emotional being or state of being is more the more recent thing based on their kind of trippy head episode, you know, from, from earlier in the season that kind of helped him understand her a bit more. You know, understand that she is not a Vulcan. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the conversation where it's like, we both raised Michael Barnum and mine's is better than yours. That, that was good because that that's all it was. It was that petty. Nice line. Yeah. <laughs> It wasn't quite the. It wasn't quite as as direct quote, but you know, it was good. Uh, I really liked. It. I really enjoyed that. Uh, and I like. Um, I like the the mother daughter dynamic that that Giorgio tried to forge with Burnham, even though it wasn't her Burnham, and the 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 difficulty they both had accepting the fact that they the other the expectations they had for the the person in front of them couldn't never be met because they're not the same person. And that one episode where they work together makes almost tries to make you forget the alternate self part of it, and you know, like I said, tries to make Giorgio redeemable when she isn't. But I think that's deliberate because you're seeing it from Burnham's perspective. Yeah, I do. I I, I get that. It's. It, I'm. I'm interested to see what that character does next. She is going to crop up again. Whether she crops up again in season two, or if they've got a long game plan for what they want to do with her, then you know I'm all for it. Yeah, um, or she might just turn up depending on Michelle Yeoh's availability. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just as a recurring menace who shows up every now and again and helps them with a particular problem or whatever. Um, who knows? We don't know what's going to happen in season two. It could be anything. Um, on to another reveal that they had, because this, as I said, this show loves its reveals. Uh, the fact that Lorca was from the Mirror Universe all along. And I actually think they did a really good job of seeding that, because throughout the season I was like, oh, Lorca's a bit of a... He's a bit of a swine, isn't he? You know, he's just... He's always manipulating people. He's always just... He doesn't really care about morality, you know, as all that stuff. But I, I put it down to the fact that he's just, he just has different ideals. You know, he's a bit like Churchill in the sense that good for war, not good for much else. So he's a Starfleet captain that's hmm. a warrior. Fine. You know, and then it turns out he's from the Mirror Universe all along. And then you start thinking back on certain things. So uh, clearly he found out the, the prison shuttle that Burnham was on. And was like, I'm going to go get her because I'm going to need her for my plan. Uh, Tilly, I'll I'll get her out of the academy because I'll need her when I get over to the other universe to uh, to carry the cover a bit longer. Stamets, this this spore drive looks cool. I think we'll be able to use that to get back, bring him aboard. You know, it's like the way he manoeuvred people into certain positions to help his plan, and you can sort of see the way he would have the thinking behind where he placed people. Except Saru, I don't understand. Why he would have picked Saru as his first officer? I think a first officer that was easy to manipulate, almost. Yeah. I, 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 
ah, that's the only reason I could think that he put him there is you know someone that he can walk over a little bit. Yeah, I mean, because the thing is, when he was first introduced, you're like, well, this isn't the normal uh, Star Trek captain. This isn't a Starfleet uh, captain material here. This is a guy who's not that. And then you go, okay, fine, it's war. And then you get the you know the light sensitivity and you're like okay well they're they're playing this up quite a bit you know they're showing the eye drops going in quite a bit and the dark and the shades that's cool and then they get the lines you know um i think he was the only member of his crew that survived and i can't remember the incident that they they're describing oh he was the only one or yeah, all his crew battle, gone yeah. or you know and you're like oh right okay so his, his crew went and all that. and then you find out okay the only reason that <laughs> That he survived is because is it actually him you're presuming? Yeah, you know that's it. Yeah, and that's fine. Um, I think the reveal worked in that sense, although part of um, part of the issue with it was that you know you've got this weird reveal uh, that doesn't hugely work because it's like, oh, by the way, all the humans in this universe are sensitive to light. I don't know why, but. They are, you know, because biologically they should be the same, and it's like, but we're all really sensitive to light for some reason. Yeah, that I'm not going to try and. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't mind them writing it, and it's it's harmless, you know. It gives them a little gimmicky thing to be able to tell who's who, and and you know, work that one out later. Yeah. And I love when when Cornwell's like. I can't believe it, I can't believe I didn't know and it's, you know, because she had made the observation that he became like a different person after he lost his ship and all that stuff uh, which is and and then Sarek was like, to be fair you know, duplicate yeah. from another universe isn't the most obvious, <laughs> isn't the most obvious conclusion and uh, it's like, yeah, okay um, they aren't in a really weird Star Trek universe yet where, you know, crossing over from different universes is a possibility but now like Post certainly post Mirror Mirror the original series episode you would have um, you would have the possible sort of uh, that test you know the Mirror Universe test are you a duplicate from an alternate universe because um, they classify Discovery's trip to the alternate universe obviously yeah um, because of all the weird crap that happened there and I like the idea of we're at war we can't have people wondering if their loved ones are alive in another universe and then trying to get there. I don't know how they would go about getting there, really. It's all by accident. No, but it's all then people trying to, to piece it together and causing more trouble than it's worth. And I, I get why they would classify it. I do. But Yeah. Um, and it also sort of tidies up why you people wouldn't suspect it before, you know, in, in previous uh, episodes we've watched. Yeah. Um, so it does, it does work, although, again, they don't really do much with it. And then... I was really disappointed that Lorca went from being nuanced and manipulative and sinister to I'm a villain now. Because um, that one episode where he's a bad guy is very kind of he's just just you know he's just a murderous psychopath at that point. And as fun as it is, and as good as Jason Isaacs is, um, it's not the Lorca that we've seen, and it's not the villainous Lorca that I wanted. If he is planned up to this point, he's manipulated and manoeuvred everything perfectly to get himself to the exact position he is at that point. You would think his plan would have slightly more backup to it than, okay, we're now going to 
take the ship. It's like I'm going to get tortured. <laughs> yeah. This close. This close. And then that's when we strike. I I think he would have been more difficult to take down in the end than that episode gives him credit for. He should have been a recurring menace or even finished on the throne by the end of that with Discovery escaping maybe or him in an escape pod and Discovery getting away, I don't know. I do like the idea that or I did like the idea that Lorca might be like a freedom fighter, you know, Giorgio's the evil one, he's the good one, he's done a lot of he's done a lot of things he might not be necessarily proud of to get to that position. Um but he was just mental and evil and it was like, okay, which which one's less evil? And then well, at least Giorgio's told me the truth so far, whereas this Lorca has lied to me since the day we met. You know, there's mm. that. So there's that issue. But um, I think that... I think it would have been more interesting if he'd been, like I said, some kind of freedom fighter. You know, someone who wanted to free the Terrans from the tyranny of the Empire who, or who's uh, sympathetic to aliens. Something like that. You know, it was... Mm. Rather than just being, oh yeah, he's just like the next bad thing to be in charge. I mean, they can't have him overthrow the Terran Empire because it needs to exist at least until Kirk um, is there and then better Spock ruins it uh, afterwards. But it shouldn't be... Um, I don't think it should have been that simple. I don't think I don't think he should have turned into that kind of moustache-twirling villain, as I've said. Yeah, he, he, I, I would have preferred, like you say, if he had come back and went, right, I've been to the universe where this federation exists and it's kind of awesome and it all worked really, really well, so we're going to work from the inside and we're going to overthrow this regime and let's get it. But it wasn't really that. It was just, I'm going to be totally evil. And yeah. when I get to the throne, I will be equally as evil. And yeah. it will be even worse, you know. I mean, I liked that bit where Burnham was like, uh, all you had to do was ask and we'd have helped you get back. Uh, you know, that's that's who we are. That was, yeah, that was it was... Quick. Sorry, she did just kind of say exactly what was on my head at that time. I was like, well, arriving in that universe, would you not just go, oh, I, I need a hand here? Or he'd have been thrown in a padded cell. Mm. <laughs> this guy's gone so crazy with grief that he thinks he's from another universe. But they seem to figure out the quantum signature problem pretty quickly, so, you know, it might not take that long. Uh, I don't know. Um, but he's dead now. Definitely dead. He was stabbed through the... the heart and thrown into the mycelial network which a lot of people out there seem to think he'll get sucked into that and return somehow which isn't impossible maybe he's that green spore that lands on Tilly's shoulder mm. <laughs> who knows uh, I'm hoping we'll see Prime Lorca at some point because they dismiss that again you know because they, they do the whole Ion Storm thing which is a reference to the original series episode um, that's how they, they accidentally switch universes by trying to beam off the ship during an ion storm uh, or beam onto the ship during an ion storm which is pretty much what happened there so Lorca switches places with him his prime universe counterpart because the Baran's in a, an ion storm ah so is that how it happened All right. yeah okay. yeah. they mention that in the show a flashback um, which is fine it's a nice little callback and they reference the Defiant as well, which uh, was in the Enterprise episode and in the original series episode, The Tholian Web. Um, it gets sucked into interphase space, winds up in the 22nd century Terran Empire universe, and then all hell breaks loose from there. In case you didn't know. 
It's all on Netflix. Watch it's all on Netflix. Yeah. Have yeah. A, have a bit See, the thing is, I've watched. Finish. I've watched. It's not that I've watched. Never watched the original series. I've not watched all the episodes. Not that there's that many of them, but I've not watched them all. Watched tons like of the other. Seventy nine of them. That's quite a lot. Yeah. About thirty good ones, as Fry says. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but the Mirror Mirror is a particularly good episode because it has sixties camp and evil universe counterparts, and uh, it's where the uh, evil counterparts have a goatee trope comes from because Spock has a goatee and uh, Sarek had a goatee of course because in the mirror universe all Vulcans have beards except <laughs> to Paul which would have been weird although I would have found it quite amusing <laughs> all Vulcans especially the women she has a bigger beard than everyone else <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh, so we kind of had a bit of Lor- well Lorca was kind of subdued in the throughout most of the arc because he was in the agony booth for most of it which was you know which was some really good acting on his part where he just sounded like you know where his voice was quivering and all that he just it presented the appearance of someone that had been horribly tortured for a long time yeah very long torture yeah and then obviously he, it was all part of his plan and oh yeah you get um, you get an appearance of the mirror Landry who died after two appearances because she decided to annoy a murderous tardigrade. <laughs> you know, that's a good way to get killed. But I couldn't I couldn't tell if Mirror Landry was any more evil than the other Landry, so Yeah, I mean maybe that all Landrys are the are the same. <laughs> They're all evil. Yeah. Um I I don't know. It's I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was it was handled well to an extent and then there were other bits that were a bit too quick and I think that like I said at the beginning, kind of covers this series as a whole. There were some things that they gave a lot of time to. There were other bits that they went, right, okay, we need to rush and finish this. We've had, we we couldn't think of where else to fit this in. We've had no space because of everything else we're doing. Quickly, 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 let's tie this up and move along. Yeah. Um, Again, it was too rushed. I mean, ideally you would add two episodes of Lorca post-reveal because then you could have plenty of time to establish his motivations, establish what he wants, uh, give his relationship with Giorgio as well as maybe the other Burnham a little bit, you know, other than they mentioned that he was like he was like a father figure to her who then sexually abused her or something like that, or like took advantage of his position, which again uh, kind of disgusting you know, he's, mm. was he the Harvey Weinstein of the, of the Mirror Universe you know um, there's, there's a lot of parallels there, I mean there was certain something very Trumpish about him when he talked about making the Terran Empire great again yeah, <laughs> yeah, there was a little bit of that, <laughs> or something like that. Uh, I, I don't think the word was great. It was, I can't remember what the word was, but yeah, it was. It was that quote, wasn't yeah, it? Terror Empire first. Yeah, yeah. So that it was good, and I, I liked seeing them like ham it up. Though that was it was good fun, uh, and some of the fights in that episode were amazing. Like I liked that corridor fight with the first, the first that I can think of sign of automated turrets in Star Trek. It's a nice thing to set in motion now, isn't it? It's uh, <laughs> put the automated turrets in now, give them more of a fight, fighting yeah. chance. Great. Yeah, and you got to see Michelle Yeoh do some amazing like fight choreography as well. It was just yeah, it was it was a. I think I said in my review it was like really entertaining but really dumb. And when I was watching it, it was one of those episodes where I was like, oh man, this is amazing, this is perfect, this is great. And then I was on the bus to work, and I was like, hang on a minute. 
No, that's not. Oh. <laughs> and wouldn't, wouldn't they have had these turrets everywhere? Not just in that one convenient room. Surely they would be all over the place. And nope, surely only be, corridor on the ship. Oh, only corridor with it. All those shields. Wouldn't it be useful to have those shields for the ship? No. Nope. We put them in that one room. Where she's yep. got that one device with the shield on. And then that's it. Yeah. I, I, you know, okay, let's say they hacked their way around all the other ones and, you know these ones were just being controlled locally and that's why they were the ones that worked but yeah still <laughs> also the ship that size you're like there were a lot of guards on board lots and lots of guards yeah anyway we'll let them off yeah you, you, you end up overthinking it like we like we do a lot of times in these podcasts we sort of break them apart to pieces until we go oh okay that was stupid but do you know what great corridor fight uh, a couple of really good fights in there, including the, the one in the throne room towards the end, the sort of back-to-back fight and yeah. all that. I was up for a good back-to-back fight. And, uh, you know. And then meanwhile, you had uh, Discovery trying to work out how to get home, and it's like, okay, we can destroy this thing because it's killing the entire universe. So they had to, in fact, they had to save the entire multiverse. Which is like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> those, um, up the stakes a little bit there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those stakes are just... Um, insane. <laughs> you know, it's like if we don't if we don't stop them mining the mycelial network, then uh, will the entire multiverse will blow itself to smithereens. And it's okay, All right? Okay, uh, environmentalism message, perhaps. You know, and um, I much prefer the whole. Okay, we you know we need to destroy this. We need to stop them hurting the network. You know the. That's fair enough. I think the whole multiverse is at stake thing is a bit much, but um, but it's it's entertaining and it's there's a lot of techno babble flying around and you know the crew are all pulling together to get themselves um, out of the situation. Uh, yeah, there was a very close to almost close to Voyager moment where I thought they're going to have to destroy the thing that's going to get them home at this point and yeah. it's going to be a oh, alright now we've got to stay that, here yeah. you know it was very close to that point well I thought they were going to do something where it was like let's close off this network um, yeah so it'll never no be able to be it. used again yeah, yeah. Um, or at least you know oh look our spore drive no longer connects to it you know something like that um, but who knows yeah, I mean, I, 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 even if they go to the conclusion of going, listen, this is too dangerous, look at what it does, you need human navigators in order to do it, we can't risk people doing it that way, it's got all this, you know, all these risks associated with it, you know, we're going to classify the technology and no one's going to look at this again. Yeah, although it was pretty ubiquitous, everyone knew about it, you know, yeah. everyone knew about Discovery, the Klingons knew about Discovery, so... It's te- well, I suppose people would forget about it, or maybe just consigned to some engineering textbook somewhere. We used to have a spore hub drive that we could use, but uh, it needs a human being to navigate it, and we never figured out how to do it—not in a million years. You know, yeah. and, I mean, you would think with uh, when Voyager gets stuck in the Delta Quadrant, they're like, "Can we really justify?" Hooking someone up to this. <laughs> yeah, can we just these? maybe build our little one jump? <laughs> one jump, we'll only do one, we promise. Yeah. And technically we could, you know, use Neelix as the the, the guinea pig for it. But <laughs> um, Although the implication is it only works in charted space, doesn't it? You know, they, they have to have like some kind of chart. They have to know where they're going. So like the Delta Quadrant was uncharted by them when they got out there. So it wouldn't really help. 
I don't know. I don't know if it's like you need to know where you're going or you need to have an exact point where you're going. Yeah. But do you need to know what route you would take? I don't know. Well, the, it seemed like Stamets at least had to know the coordinates he was aiming for. And um, you have to know that those coordinates are safe because what you've got is you've got, like, you know, Starfleet will have determined an enchanted enchanted space. We can safely drop out of warp in these coordinates because you know we won't fly into a sun, we won't get hit by gravity wells, whatever. You know all that all that sciency stuff. But with a spore drive, I think it's because they do suggest that um, it is it only really works for them because they know where they're going to. So like they couldn't jump to Kronos because they know where it is, but they don't know like. They don't know enough about it, so they needed to find that. They needed that map to find the cave to jump into. It wasn't like Stamets could just find the cave while he was on his way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, that that's my head canon anyway. I think it was kind of hinted in dialogue, but uh, it could explain why Voyager couldn't get home in five minutes. Yeah, I mean, there's still potential in a future season for them to explain why it's you know. The network's tapped out in some way, or yeah, altered and well, altered in a way that stops them ever using it again. You know. Yeah, I think it's a pretty rushed explanation. We need them to be using conventional warp drive because we never have this in later Star Treks. So Stamets is like, yeah, they don't want to use humans for this anymore, but I can still do it. But I'm happy to just fly the old-fashioned way. But you can see they'll get into dire straits next season. We need to be across the quadrant in ten seconds. You know, let's let's do this just this once. There's no way we can escape this current situation that we are in. Oh yeah. wait. Yeah. yeah. Let's dust off the spore drive once again. But I don't know, it's a cool piece of technology and, and it was a bit different, you know, it was a bit of new new trek tech for us to play with for a little while and it was I really like the the effect of the ship spinning before it like jumps and then looking like it's dropping out of something when it appears. That was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I think that was that was well done. And actually, I, I ended up quite liking the ship design in the end. Oh, I still hate the discovery design. It looks awkward uh, the, from any angle. It's it it looks a bit clunky, but you know I kind of liked a little bit of it. Yeah. The yeah. spinny bit's cool. <laughs> Let's go for that. The spinny bit. Put in moving parts and Chris is sold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just don't like the design very much. I like the Shenzhou design. I think that's a really nice little ship, but um, not the Discovery. No. I, mean, I keep thinking it will grow on me, but I, I said that about the J.J. Abrams Enterprise and it never did. So, because that, that ugly, ugly ship. Um, yeah. So, there was, oh, what other reveals were there? I think that was it. Speaking of reveals, Enterprise and such. Yes, yes. The the final <laughs> scene gives us our, uh, the, the USS Enterprise, which is, I suppose, the final reveal of the season. And it's the final scene. But yeah, the um, the setup. I honestly thought the setup was like the finale of a music talent show. You know, we're receiving a distress call. Okay, who's calling us? Don't know. Um, we're getting the registry now. And it was like NCC17. It's like, and the winner of... American Idol 2017 is, you know, drum roll, <laughs> it's, uh, but as soon as I saw the NCC-17, I was like, it's going to be the Enterprise, isn't it? And I did get kind of excited. I mean, the moment is cheesy as all hell. 
it's very very cheesy and it's one of those things that when you get a little bit distance from it I, I couldn't believe it happened you know it's one of those like I can't believe they did it that way but then any time I've rewatched it it's, it's quite an exciting moment and then they show you the Enterprise and she's updated slightly not so much as the Abrams Enterprise but looks good uh, you know it's a it's a Discovery style USS Enterprise which is it's, it's a nice callback to the original while being a bit more up to date no, definitely. And I think it was a neat reveal to sort of end on a little sort of hint at what's to come, potentially. But yeah, liked it. Yeah. And the thing is, do you think they're going to um, capitalise on this and give us, a say, a two-part story with the USS Enterprise next season where you have a recast oh. Captain Pike, a recast Spock, a recast Number One, as she was known in the cage, and all those characters. I don't know. I think they might... It would be, be awfully annoying of them to just jump to several months later <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah, I would like a couple of episodes. or a, it'll, it'll probably be a bit of token service in there, I think. You know, I'll give it a bit of fan service for an episode, maybe two, and then they'll disappear off. But you've got the possibility of these characters cropping up again, or the Enterprise dropping in again later on. Yeah, Here's what I don't want to happen. Captain's Log, Stardate, whatever. We had a great adventure with the Enterprise. <laughs> you wouldn't have believed what happened. <laughs> wow, what an adventure. Sadly, it's all classified and I can't put it in this log. But If you want to read whoa. more about our exploits, there is a novel that has just been released, written by whoever, that details <laughs> the adventure we had. Mm. Oh, how great it was. And we get to have Spock without bothering to assign an actor to him and all that stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, whether we'll get to see Spock, I don't know if they'll hold that back or not. Do you think they'll back up a truck of money to Zachary Quinto's house and say, you want to play Spock again? <laughs> I think yeah. they might. They might. Whether he'd be willing to do it or not, I suppose if it's a truck of money, you probably. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, come, 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 along, come along here, put the ears on for two days, will you? And, and film a couple of these scenes so you appear on a hologram. <laughs> well, that would be disappointing as well. I, oh, I think it would be disappointing, but I think it's closer to what we might get if they want to involve them further into the season I would say although we you, have a new Sarek that's not connected to the the Abrams movies so theoretically that means we could get a new Spark as well mm. and I'd be open to it um, I think in this universe that revolves around Michael Burnham it's the next logical step because you find out about uh, well her relationship with Sarek is one of the cornerstones of her character and uh, you see a little bit of her relationship with Amanda, a.k.a. Spock's mother, who's, I can't remember the name of the actress that plays her here. It's not Winona Ryder, but, you know. Um, so the next logical step is we see what her relationship with her brother is, or her half-brother. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I'd, I'd, I'd like to see a bit more. If it is a different actor, I wouldn't mind, to be honest. I mean, it would be nice be nice for it to tie in and, and yeah i mean obviously it depends as well if they if they cast well or if they cast poorly but i don't think they'd be they'll do too bad if they're going to make him a key character and if they're going to have him as a recurring character later on down the line even yeah um then they'll want to cast well i think 
Well, I mean, I thought there was a bit of emptiness when it, in, in that earlier episode I mentioned er, well, a while ago, talking about um, you know where Sarek was injured and Burnham was revisiting her that moment that he chews Spock over her, and that moment doesn't quite work because you don't see Spock, so it's you know it's, it's kind of this off-screen presence that that's not addressed. It's like Superman and Supergirl. Let's spend a season talking about him and not bother showing him. You know, um, I wonder if they'll drop the ball. Um, drop the ball. They'll, they'll just um, yeah. I wonder if they'll drop that down and just give us what we want to see. You know, because you can't drop the Enterprise in our laps in the last minute of the episode and then do nothing with it next season. You just can't do that. Although it wouldn't be the first time for this show. You know, giving us a promise of something and then delivering nothing. I I think they will deliver something. I, I, I have the feeling it might be some holograms, it might be some bits and pieces, it might only be part of a episode even. Yeah. But I, I do think they'll either get Zachary Quinto in or they will cast a Spock this time. Could be right. Uh, we'll find they, out. They can, get, they can get away, put it this way, they can get away with it a lot easier uh, in a flashback than they can going, and... Yeah, that was the Enterprise, but that was Spock's holiday time. And he was back on Vulcan at that time. Uh, you know, despite Spock. the fact they're en route there and all that, yeah. Spock was, was off for something called Ponfar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is that? I don't want to know. You know, and I think um, they might have an easier time recasting Captain Pike, I suppose. It's something that's easier to accept. But I wonder if it will be like, Captain Pike and Spock have been kidnapped and you're dealing with me, number one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number one is the name of a character, in case you don't know. Um, Majel Barrett Roddenberry played her in the cage, which was the first pilot. I'm probably explaining, I'm probably telling everyone who knows this already, but, you know, for those uninitiated, the first pilot of Star Trek was called The Cage. It wasn't Captain Kirk. It was Captain Pike, who you may have seen in the 2009 uh, movie and its sequel and then he had a first officer called number one that was all she was ever called uh, played by as I said Gene Roddenberry's wife um, so I think it's highly likely and f- I would hate this but it's highly likely that Pike and Spock won't appear because they've been kidnapped and she'll be in command because this is a very kind of female-centric series as well, you know, so it would kind of fit their modus operandi for that. Yeah, they've gone missing. Let's spend half a season trying to find them. Or even just an episode. Yeah, could be. And then at the end of it, it'll be like, you know, oh, the Enterprise is hailing us. It's number one. And it's like, okay, uh, thanks. Thanks, Discovery. We've got Spock and Pike back. See you later. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, they can't come to the phone right now. They're down <laughs> in sick bay. Uh, they're in. They're in sick bay. They're yeah. They, uh, they, they said to pass on uh, Ta and uh, thanks very much. Uh, we're off to the starbase now. You carry on on your mission. Uh, good luck, Ta. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be so rubbish. <laughs> Let's hope they don't do that. Uh, um, and, and with that, a, mil- a million fans go out there going no. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, anybody that was on the fence about Discovery prior at that point, they'd be done. That would just like, you know, like, How dare you? Uh, yeah. Jeez. Ridiculous. But um, now we get to see the Enterprise. Proof that you can redesign it without it looking like complete crap. Uh, I'm, I'm sensing some emotions in there, Craig. It's almost like, you know. Yeah. I really don't like the J.J. Abrams <laughs> iteration of the Enterprise. 
I was kind of happy to see it blown to bits. Moving away from the final scene, uh, there's a couple of characters we didn't cover. What did you think of the handling of Saru? I like Saru. I thought, at first, I was like, well, there's not really much to this guy, and he's a bit, you know. uh." And then he kind of comes into his own towards the end. Um, I mean, he gets his one sort of standalone episode that I can't remember the name of. Uh, where he gets taken over by the alien species. Uh, and I can't remember the name. The Pavins. The Pavins, that's it. Yeah. Um, so he gets that episode, which was it sort of goes into a bit deeper about how his species feels all the time and why he would make an absolutely terrible captain but has somehow managed to conquer the odds <laughs> and get there. And then he kind of comes into his own in the, the last couple after uh, Lorca's betrayal. And sort of, you know, when they find out he's a duplicate, then he's captain, has to make his mind up, has to make decisions, and sort of comes into his own element there. And I was like, oh, actually, I'm kind of, yeah, I get get this, I like him. Yeah. Uh, I thought Saru was really good as captain, and I'm kind of disappointed that they're like, you can be captain until we go get our next captain. Yeah. Because I think he earned it. I really liked the moment where he gave the inspirational speech, you know, where it was all about, we're all going to die. And he's like, well, I sense the coming of death and I don't sense it today. And (laughs) uh, the ship no longer belongs to Lorca. This is the Discovery's maiden voyage. And we're all a crew. We're all Starfleet. And everyone's like, yeah, I think that was a really good, like fist bumping moment. It was it it was a speech to that James T. Kirk would be proud of. No, definitely. Uh, and like I say, I, I think he came into his own. He sort of, I, I like that a lot of the characters in here have been given development. He's another one that sort of came along by the end of it. Um, from what you see him like in the, the very first episode on this angel to where he is as captain or acting captain at that point of Discovery. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think... Um yeah, I think he'd be a good captain. I think he was coming into his own in that. And it was interesting how he was kind of pulling together with the resources of the crew. And and he was very much embodying, embodying all those ideals that Starfleet should have. He is the, the quintessential Starfleet officer. With all the faults that may come with as well. Well, you know, he's not flawless, but flawless people are boring, you know. Other, unless, they're called, unless they're called James T. Kirk. Oh, no, no, it's, it's just that William Shatner thinks he's flawless. Yeah. Uh, let's not get into Shatner bashing, because that happens quite a lot in these things. But um, So it looks like Saru will be first officer once again next season, which is disappointing, uh, because I would prefer to see him as captain. I wonder who they'll cast as the next captain. I wonder, uh, Maybe they'll have a celebrity captain. For a wee for a celebrity captain, <laughs> it'll be the new uh, sort of Columbo guest star, won't yeah. it? Who's going to turn out to be the evil captain this week? Yeah, yeah is the guest star. Yeah. <laughs> what universe are you from? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of people have been saying that wish they'd like it to be to Paul. Uh, I would hate it to be that. I don't think that's going to be the case. But um, I never would. Uh, some I saw some people saying that it would be Spock. Because they're going to pick him up on Vulcan, I'm like, nah, nah, <laughs> he's not going to be the captain of Discovery. That's not going to. Um, but Saru did do a lot of good stuff towards the end. Um, 
It was interesting in the penultimate episode where Cornwell took them to the starbase and she was like, holy crap, it's like under Klingon control. And then it's Saru that's the one that says, get us out of here because like we're in the middle of Klingon space now. Well, he sort of watches his commanding officer at that point just fall to pieces going, oh yeah. my God, what have I done? There's nothing happening. What do I do? Where do we go? What do we... Doesn't give any orders whatsoever. And you're like, yeah, step in at this point, Saru. Step yeah. in at this point. Now? Now? And then he finally does and you're like, okay, thank <laughs> God for that. <laughs> yeah, so he'd be a good captain. And I think um, it'd be a nice learning experience for him as well. And you could have Burnham be his first officer, and and, and maybe that will eventually happen. Uh, who knows? But we'll have another celebrity captain for a season, who turns out to be from the future or something. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> What's the twist on the captain this year? You know, tune in and find out. Who knows? Uh, Stamets was another character that they did quite a lot with. I mean, he was kind of zonked for a couple episodes, but then. He hung around in the in the weird headspace and talked to himself, his evil self, and then um, had that nice goodbye with the kind of representation of uh, Hugh, his uh, his his boyfriend. Yeah, uh, which was a nice goodbye, and um, it reminded me a bit of Barry in the Speed Force and the Flash. Mm-hmm. It had that kind of vibe, you know. It's it did definitely, and I, I like that it was simple things like I want to brush my teeth and chat with you in the morning. I want to keep going round this loop and and pretending as if I don't need to go back. Yeah, it's like Nick said in the last one. That's a really striking image because it tells you a lot about those characters. They're, um, you know, you know that they've been together long enough that they have a nighttime routine, that they are comfortable with each other, and it, you know. It delivers a lot of information in a very short period of time. And I know a lot of people were annoyed when Culber was killed. Um, there's a trope in, in fiction that the internet has coined burying your gaze. So what happens is, you, you know, you have these gay characters, these openly gay characters, and then you just kill them. And um, one notable example of that was in Buffy. Spoilers for Buffy. But there's a, a lesbian character in that who's just killed for kind of what appears to be no reason at all. Uh, and... It also happens in the hundred. Um, if you've seen the hundred, spoilers for the hundred. Yeah. If not, uh, where they kill Lexa. Yeah, Lexa. And uh, it's, yeah, and it's just at the point that her and Clark get together as well. So it's almost like it's it's a shame that they lent into that trope. It is a bit, and it. <laughs> And you and you do sit there and go, did it need to be that character? It could have been any of, and, and we've already said about the anonymous bridge crew that we want to know more about. I still think it would have had an impact, like the anonymous medical staff that seem to be kicked yeah. out as well. The anonymous <laughs> medical staff that we're going to find out more about later. The anonymous bridge crew that we've been seeing in the background. I think if a couple of them had been killed off and found in a corridor, it yeah. would have had the same or a similar impact, ultimately, than killing Hugh off. But it it does give Stamets this emotional sort of roller coaster, this reason why he wouldn't want to go back, he would want to cling on to that point. And I, I, I just kind of feel a bit sorry because I, I wanted to see those characters on screen together. Yeah. I think the, the the relationship, like you say, was done really, really well. It was simple. It wasn't 
over the top. It wasn't. It was self-explanatory. It was all there on screen. It kind of ticked a lot of those boxes that you well, don't get very often in these things. Well, it gave him the impetus to get out of the mycelial network as well and not be suckered in by his evil self, because they were kind of setting it up as, oh, cool, he's going to work with his evil self, and then. It seemed like they were going out of their way to try and make you forget that the people in the Mirror Universe aren't very nice people. They did it with Giorgio. They were doing it with Giorgio in that very same episode. And what you had was you had Stamets cutting about with his Mirror Self. But then it was like, no, this guy this, this guy doesn't think about the, the well-being of this network. He just wants to use it for what he wants to use it for. And he wants to use the other Stamets for what he wants to use for and it's all very self-serving it's all very sinister and the whole thing about our Stamets is he has to realise that no, there's a better way and again it ties into that arc of you know not giving in to your darker nature it's about finding that better way and he finds that better way by essentially communing with the network through the memory of his his dead man and and that's ultimately what gets them home as well, because it gives them the advice that he needs to get home. Which makes me wonder, is the mycelial network sentient in some way? It suggests, I, I'm, I'm highly convinced that it is. I think so. There is some sort of otherworldly aspect to it. It isn't as plain as... I think your comparison to sort of the Speed Force thing isn't too far wrong. You know, it is... It isn't purely science-based, almost. You know, yeah. it's not It's not that. And that is almost one of the transitions that Stamets goes through throughout the the series. You know, he begins and examine it in this very scientific way, using, and then finally finds out it's this animal that controls it. Then he becomes that animal that controls it, and he feels it flowing through him. It's not a sort of scientific measurement type thing he's doing. Yeah. It's It's physically interacting with it. And yeah, so I think by the end of it, he's kind of appreciating it for the creature that it is, the the entity almost yeah. that it is, the consciousness maybe. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah it's it's sort of difficult to describe. Yeah. Isn't it? I think my favourite visual effect, visual sequence in the entire season was the terraforming one. I thought that was just beautifully handled. It looked amazing. Uh, I really liked the idea that they put so much money. And realizing something that was purely scientific in that respect, so they were, you know, they were creating life. They were making stuff grow, terraforming a planet to to create spores, um, and it was just it was just a great, uplifting, excellent moment to watch. Yeah, I think that was done. I mean, I, I've got to say, a lot of the 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 graphics that they've done in this have been brilliant. Oh, yeah. I've been absolutely great. I mean, you can see why. The show was delayed slightly. If they've been sitting there going, right, okay, we've got to sort of go over these CGI shots, and if we do this one, we've got to tweak this one, and we've got to make this look more. I, I think you know you can see that they've spent some money on the screen, and it's it's great. Eight point five million dollars per episode, or something like that. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. The um, although the visual effects people or the directors or whoever really liked zooming in through windows, they did it so many times. I think it's because it's something that you never used to see that much in Trek, so like, oh, well, we'll do this because this is different and the technology allows us to do this easily now, yeah. Yeah, well, the difference between the Star Trek series and the films, or at least broadly speaking, is the fact that, 
you know, for the films, you they generally made shots just for that film. So therefore, you could have different looking shots of the Enterprise or whatever ship they were on for that film. Um, and in this, there's that approach as well. But yeah, the the zooms through the windows, they got a bit numerous towards the end. So like, right, I get it. You're, you're able to transition seamlessly from outside to inside without me noticing that there is any kind of join anywhere. But do something else, please. And, um, you know, in, yeah, in old Trek series, what you had was you had stock footage of the Enterprise at warp, the Enterprise dropping out of warp, the Enterprise flying through space. or whatever Orbit. Remember yeah. the orbit. Yeah, standard <laughs> orbit. There's a different planet here, but we've seen this shot before. Yeah. And fa- that's fine. I mean, for a weekly network driven TV show, you know, you need that stock footage. But for this they they did a lot of bespoke shots for every every episode, you know. I don't think there was ever two angles of discovery that were the same, really. No, which, there was a lot of know, variety in there. Which confirms my hypothesis that it looks hideous from all angles. So <laughs> Yeah. But the yeah. I've probably just ruined it for you now if you rewatch it and then you notice the zoom through windows, you'll be like, Oh man. It'll be a super cut somewhere now, won't yeah, it? That's it. Yeah, the window zooms. Um, sort of like uh, JJ's lens flares. Oh, God. Well, they had some lens flares at the start. I'm glad they toned them down by the end. I'm sick of bloody lens flares. So now that we've kind of exhausted the second part of season one, uh, what would you like to see in season two? Or how do you think it's going to go? Is there, you know, is there a defined way it can go? Season two won't be a war arc, which will be good maybe but um what is season two going to be or what would you like it to be um I, I i'm with you or a sense for you and i don't want it to be oh klingons are back on the warpath uh, i i really don't want that i want to see a bit of rebuilding helping to rebuild helping to renegotiate and move forward and build this federation back up you know they've they've taken a hit so let's see them build in the initial episodes. Yeah, I want something with the Enterprise in maybe. Let's tie in Spock, let's tie in Pike and all that. And then see where it goes from there. I want to be surprised. And this has pleasantly surprised me in so many ways. So, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't want to guess too much. But, yeah, surprise me. Come up, come up with something. I think moving away from a defined war arc has a lot of potential to it. I would like to see not a complete return, but something resembling a return to the the Star Trek stories of old, the strange new worlds, strange you know new civilizations kind of thing. A uh, bit more exploring, bit of scientific discovery, but also keep the uh, keep the focus on the characters. So keep it about what does Michael Burnham think about this discovery? What does Tilly think about this? nebula they're in what does stamets think about this new species of fungus that he's discovered you know and stuff stuff like that <laughs> um i kind of thought the the last couple of episodes in particular uh being about morality of the federation the morality of starfleet and what they're supposed to stand for was almost like them reaffirming their commitment to being a star trek show so it's like here we've here we've what we've done in the past 13 14 episodes is we've tested that star trek idealism against an unforgiving backdrop. So here it is in the mirror universe, here it is during a war, here it is, you know, here's our captain who's the embodiment of someone that doesn't subscribe to those ideals, and here's why these ideals are more positive. So they're almost reaffirming it. And I almost feel like the appearance of the Enterprise is symbolic of the show being accepted into being Star Trek. So it's like, now we're going to go out there and look see what's out there. You know, we're going to be less insular, it's going to be Mm -hmm. less 
tight in terms of the this is a war story. I mean, not that it really was a war story. You know, they they very rarely got involved in the war as such. Um, just kind of bits and pieces here and there, but um, so yeah, I think that the Enterprise appearance could be that symbol. It's like now we're Star Trek. Here's the Enterprise. You know, here's that symbol of everything the franchise stands for and everything we should aspire to be. And this is what we're going to do next. I don't know if that's reading too much into it, but at the same time, I think it's a nice little idea. I uh, I agree. That sounds great, really. Yeah. I'd like to see the characters come into their own a bit, some of the others, you know. So we already know a bit about Stamets and, um, and, and Tilly, but I'd like to see them do more. Uh, whoever the new captain is, I'd quite like to see this new captain dealing with the fact that they're coming into a crew that are already um, already close to one another, already know how each other work, and maybe there's a bit of trouble there in, in the sense of, you know, blending in. It's like when people get a new boss at work, you know, they, <laughs> it, it comes, this new guy comes in or this new woman comes in running your team that you've been a part of for ages and, you know, there's maybe some teething issues with the way they do things their own way. A bit like Jellicoe in The, the Next Generation. When he took over from Picard and nobody liked the way he worked. I'd maybe like to see a bit of that. Just you know, just for conflict, because you need conflict, otherwise it's all boring. Um give me a more of the bridge crew. Let's see more of them. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe another doctor or two. Um Need a spare doctor just in case. Yeah. Um give us a bit of Tyler. Uh trying to help the Klingons be more Klingon, I don't know. Uh, maybe not too much though I'm kind of sick of Klingons especially if we have to watch more interminable scenes of them subtitled very very long drawn out scenes of subtitled Klingons yeah where I get to the end of it I'm like what are they talking about I've lost all track of what's going on though doing the the previously on in Klingon that was good that was that was good I'll give them points for that yeah Um, season 2 has a lot of potential I would I would quite like it to go more exploration based uh, thing, but still keep it focused on characters because this has been unique with its tighter focus on specific characters rather than rather than situations that characters happen to be in. And I would say it's the second best first series of a Star Trek show. So it's the best first season of a of a spin off of the original series. I think That's so. That's not a high it's a bar. Very, it's a, oh no, it's not. It's not a hugely high bar, but it is. I think a very good start from it. I know that it's been divisive in some some parts of the community. Yes. Uh, but um, I think it's a very a very strong start, really. Yeah. Fifteen episodes. I feel like it could have had more. I actually think the the entire second half of the season should have been devoted to Mirror Universe. Because the Klingon arc was rushed as all hell at the end. It was just, let's tie this up quickly as possible. Yeah, you could have left it with them jumping home and finding out the the Klingon the Klingons were winning. You know, that could yeah. have been your end of end of season. That was really weird. They painted such a bleak picture at the end of that episode, didn't they? Where they're like, Oh my god, the Klingons have won the war. Or you know, and then the next episode, it's like, yeah, they control 20% of Federation space. Well, that's not too bad. 
That, 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 that sounds uh, fine. Yeah. That's 20%. I mean, not very good for the people that are living on those 20% of planets and stations, but yeah, 20% is, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's not as bad as it looked at the end of the last episode. So, you know, yeah. I was because I, I was so sure that the nine-month jump was going to be a jump back in time at the end of the season. I, I I can't remember if I said this on the podcast or not, or if I just said it to you when we were chatting about it, that, yeah, I thought they were going to go back in time and it was going to be a chance for them to sort of adjust mistakes and basically win the war or change the outcome of the war to that point. By sort of slightly tweaking something in the background, yeah. But then you would have had to wrap that up in about half an episode and it was rushing enough as it was. Well, it would have been almost the same. (laughs) Uh, One thing I want to see next season is better designs of Klingon ships. The the Klingon ship designs (laughs) in this show suck. You know, it's so weird because the Federation starships, they look pretty bang on for what they should be, but... The Klingon ships don't. They should be green and, you know, Klingon bird of prey-like and all that stuff. Well, maybe they'll tweak it. They'll, you know, now that they've got new rulership in charge. Make my ships look prettier or I'll press my iPad. Because it's weird because in Enterprise era, you have the the Klingon ships looking, you know, looking like a proto-version of what they did in... Well, the next generation, really. But then in this, they're just weird and not Klingon-like at all. I don't know. It's just a complaint from me. But, yeah, I'm not I'm not an apologist for the show in the sense that I think it's flawless and every decision they made was the right one. But I do think that they did a really good job. And they brought my favourite franchise back to television, sort of. And... Brought it back in a way that was watchable, so that's nice. I'm just quite happy. I'm like you. I'm happy that Star Trek's back on telly and they've not made a complete howler of it. So yeah, yeah, a welcome return. It's not perfect, but it is what it is. Um, and as a kind of side note to wrap up, well, not quite to wrap up, but as a side note, uh, I'm going to recommend. People watch uh, Nick Nick Cook, who occasionally appears on this very podcast, usually when we're talking about Star Trek. He's one of the people that was tragically lost in a transporter accident at the start of this podcast. Sorry, so, Nick. Yeah, sorry, Nick. Uh, you know, but his Mirror Universe counterpower will be kicking about somewhere, so I'll find him. Well, kick-ass uh, beard. He'll have a goatee, so it's fine. Uh, I'll know who he is. So he recently released another episode of his... Uh, he does fan films. Uh, his episode, Intrepid or his fan film series is called Intrepid set aboard the same class of ship that Voyager is uh, and he released a, a new episode and I watched it and I thought it was good so I'll put the link in the show notes and we'll say that Nick was the, the sadly deceased Nick was the sponsor for this episode oh. he didn't He didn't give us any money but no one does So well we, we <laughs> believe in the moneyless society of course and we yes, do it, it. We, we do it because we love what we do yeah. and not because we want money. However, donations are gratefully received. <laughs> yes. Of course. yes. Uh, no, I don't have anywhere to put them. It's fine. Um, I will get the episode name just presently. Uh, stalling, 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 stalling. If any mattress companies or people that have uh, easy online website designers uh, want to throw us a donation we'll also receive it 
<laughs> if so, you own a company that sends us uh, easy-to-use recipe cards with all the ingredients to cook meals at home uh, as fresh as uh, a daisy, then you could just get in touch. Yeah, pleading for sponsorship. Yep. Yes. So, uh, so Nick's latest um, effort, it wasn't just Nick, he has a whole team of people behind him, but I can't name-check them. So, uh, it's called The Story, and it's it's very... Um, it's a very sweet little story. I, I watched it. I enjoyed it. And um, I think you should all watch it. Because if you like Star Trek, there's a good chance you might like, enjoy it. And there's a bunch of other stuff. So uh, I'll make sure to link the channel in the description and you can watch it at your leisure. Uh, so I just thought I would give a shout out to that. But now that you've suggested it, I will, I will watch it after this podcast. Yay! It's about six minutes long, so, you know, not a huge time commitment. That's, that, that sounds doable for me. Yeah, six minutes. Yeah. Okay, so have you got any sort of final thoughts about Discovery Season 1? No, I think I've, I've, I'll have i probably think of something as soon as we stop recording, but no, I, I've, I've liked it overall. I look forward to, like I, you know, podcast drinking game, I look forward to seeing what happens <laughs> next. Uh, so, yeah, I, I look forward to it, and... Um, yeah, just great to have Star Trek back on TV. I second that. I think it's I think it's great. Uh, good show. I miss it. It's the one good thing on a Monday morning that you can think of these days. Well, that I do these days. So it's a shame that it's not currently on. Um, hopefully it won't be too long into next year. They've said that production starts in April for season two, or certainly in the spring. So hopefully... Uh, we won't get any more delays. Next season will start. We'll get maybe more, more, a few more episodes. Who knows? Who knows? Or maybe better used episodes. I don't know. But yeah, I like it. I like the characters. I don't like the ship design necessarily. Um, it's not flawless, but I do enjoy it. So there. Uh, so on that note, are you ready to go through the transporter and be beamed back to your own universe? Yeah, beam me back, Craig. I'll try not to kill you. But no promises. Anyway, thank you for attending this uh, podcast. And uh, I really appreciate you soldiering through, even though most of the your most of it, well, pretty much everyone else you beamed over with is tragically killed in a transporter <laughs> accident. Well, hopefully um, I'll get back with all my limbs. Maybe, well, we'll see. We'll see how the transport is working. So, uh, thank you again for attending. Thank you. And energising. That was our discussion on the second half of Star Trek Discovery's first season. A special thanks to YouTuber Samo Studios for the music heard at the end. If you like what you heard, then please do subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, or any major podcasting app, and boldly go with us on the next Nail Before Pod. Mm-hmm.